um, few years, well, this is the 10th Smago. Uh, the very first Smago, uh, I was uh, talking to the uh, organizing, the chairman of the organizing committee. And, uh, oh. <laughs> right, let's just go to the Bible. <laughs> Um, I was talking to the chairman of the organizing committee, and I said, oh, you know, we're going to have this, let's, let's, uh, we talked about having this camp and all that, and, uh, uh, and I said, I, said I, I think I'll speak. And he said to me, no, 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 I don't think you should speak. He said, we hear you every week, why don't you, we're tired of hearing you, why don't we get somebody else? So I said, okay, that's fine. And so for the last 10 years, we've had somebody else uh, speak. And then uh, earlier this year, I was speaking to the current chairman of the organizing convenience. So I haven't found somebody yet, sorry, yeah. He said, oh, why don't you speak? Because we don't hear you very much nowadays. Is that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so here we are. Um, it's a great privilege to be uh, able to share with you at, uh, at Smago. Thank you. Um, if you go to your outlines, it's in the blue book. Uh, I've just got a couple of extra things to put on the outline. Uh, you know, I normally put the outline very, very late, like Sunday morning. Uh, and so uh, I had to give the outline early this time, and so a couple of things missing. So if you could add 3C, under 3C, if you could put God's solution in Jesus. God's solution in Jesus, 3C. So 3A is God's sovereignty, 3B is God's punishment, 3C is God's solution in Jesus. And then under 4, uh, that's fine, but you go and add a number 5, conclusion, the example to follow. Conclusion, the example to follow. Okay? Okay, have you got that? Uh, and you've got Jonah chapter 1. Uh, can everybody hear me clearly on both sides? If I go speak like that, you can still working, huh? All right, good. Let me pray, and let's look at Jonah 1. Father, thank you again that we can uh, meet together, uh, gathered around your word, and we thank you that you speak to us through your word. Uh, and we ask now, Heavenly Father, once again, uh, that as we look at this book of Jonah, um, as we hear uh, your word, that your spirit would be at work among us. Uh, we pray that he will be strengthening me, uh, enabling me to, uh, to teach your word clearly and faithfully and in his power. And we pray that he will be working in each one of our hearts, uh, causing us to respond rightly to you uh, and to, and to uh, be appreciating Jesus uh, and loving him and following him. So we commit this time to you, Father. Uh, work among us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we all do stupid things, don't we? Don't we? Yeah. The things that we do, we shouldn't do. Things that have consequences that are bad, but we do them anyway. I remember when I was in school, uh, once very impulsively, I decided it would be fun to put my tie into the Bunsen burner. <laughs> very stupid thing to do. Uh, and... Put it in, and uh, well, it started burning. <laughs> yes. 
as they do. And in that school, they only had ties for prefects, and they were only made on special order. And so for the rest of the year, I wore a half-burnt tie to school every day. And everyone would ask me, what about your tie, huh? It was funny, but it was really dumb. In the story we're looking at today, the prophet Jonah does something that is not so funny, but still really, really dumb. He runs away from God. Now, when my daughters were little, if one of them, you call them to come, and they run away, they'll be in trouble. Right? And rightly so. But what Jonah does here is far worse. He runs away from God himself. The story starts with, with God speaking to Jonah. And in verse 1, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Now, when you see the word Lord, capital L-O-R-D, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, right? You say, yes, that's right, there's Yahweh. Okay? That's the English way of translating. When you, you, in the Hebrew, that is Yahweh, the personal name for God, God's covenant name for His people. That's the, the name that God had revealed Himself to His people. And the word of the Lord, the word of Yahweh, came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Now, we don't know much about this man. In fact, the only other reference we have to him in the Old Testament, which you've already looked up, uh, is this one from 2 Kings 14. In the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel, became king of Samaria. He reigned for 41 years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Didn't turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, which I called Israel to commit. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Sea of Araban, in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant, Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from gath Hefer. So, what do we know about Jonah? We know he's a prophet. We know he's the son of Amittai. We don't know who Amittai is, so it doesn't really help. He lived in Israel. Uh, during or before the time of Jeroboam, Jeroboam the second, and Jeroboam the second is around about 750 BC. So it's about 750 BC. He prophesied the expansion of the borders of Israel, and God's word through him was fulfilled. So that's what we know about him from elsewhere. Now the Israel that he prophesied was going to be expanded was actually not in a very good spiritual situation. They had turned away from the living and true God. They were serving idols. They were heading for God's wrath that God had promised through the book of Deuteronomy. And he said, when you turn away from idols, you'll be heading for my wrath. And they were going to be kicked out of the land. Uh, there had been prophet after prophet after prophet who had reminded them about this, but they didn't repent. And 722 BC, just 31 years after this Jeroboam II died, their country was going to be destroyed. Many of their people would be killed. The rest would be deported. Foreigners would come in and take over the land. The nation would be no more. Jonah was prophesying before this time. But already you can tell that the signs are there. But when the word of the Lord comes for Jonah, surprisingly it doesn't come for this rebellious people like it came for all the other prophets. This was not a word for Israel. It was a word for somebody else. In verse 2, he says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. The great city of Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. 
And the Assyrians, they were a nasty bunch. They were emerging as a threat to Israel and her neighbors. Although at that time, time of Jeroboam II, they, they had their own internal problems as well. Right? Rebellion here, rebellion there, coming up. And they also had another had an external problem in terms of another, uh, another kingdom called Urartu, which is just north of them, which is about the same size as them. Uh, also kind of a threat. But they were still expanding, and they were still being threatening towards their neighbors, and they were going to be the ones eventually who were going to destroy Israel. So there's already some hostility going on, but it's still contained by the problems that the Assyrians are facing at the time. But the other thing about Nineveh, the thing that we are told in the scriptures, is that it was a very wicked city. And its evil had come to God's attention. God, the judge of all the nations, is about to act. He says, Arise, go to Nineveh, call out against it, for their evil has come before me. Now, you might have thought that Jonah would relish the opportunity to go and preach against a city which is emerging as Israel's enemy. But he doesn't. He decides that instead of going to Nineveh, he's going to run away instead. Verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, if you go to the next, we go to the next two, two slides down, uh, Benedict, two slides down, and we'll see where Tarshish is. Okay, let's have a look at the slide. This is land of Israel. This is Nineveh. What does he do? He goes to Joppa so that he can go to Tarshish. Right. You get the idea. He's wanting to go in the exact opposite direction, probably as far as he can possibly get, as far as he knows there is, in the other direction from where God is going to send him, wants to send him. Right. And how is he going to get there? Well, we said it just now. In the end of verse 3, to Joppa, to find the ship that's going to Tarshish. Joppa, we see, that's a seaport along the Palestinian coast. It's not part of Israel at the time. It's a place where he can find a ship with pagan sailors who will take him out to the open sea. Far away, not only from Nineveh, but from Israel itself. Far away from the land that God promised his ancestors. Far away from the, the place where God ruled his people. Far away from God. And so, in the second half of verse 3, he pays the fare, he goes on board, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, at this point of the story, we're not told why he wants to do this. We don't know. But we know that he's trying to escape the presence of the Lord. He's running away from God. Now, that's pretty stupid, isn't it? How can you run away from God? The psalmist says in Psalm 139, coming up on the screen, there's a slight delay on this screen. I don't know why. 
And it's not Benedict, it's the screen. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Jonah knows the Psalms. He knows God is everywhere. We can't run away from him. He knows that running away is stupid, but he runs anyway. And not only is running away from God stupid, it's also sinful. And that's far worse. God sends Jonah to Nineveh. Jonah goes the other direction. Running away from God like that is sin. It's just plain disobedience. And so running away from God like that leads to his judgment. Sin leads to judgment. And that's what happens. Verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great mighty wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the, the ship threatened to break up. Because you see, Yahweh, the God of Israel, is not just the God of Israel. He's the God of the heavens and the earth. You can leave Israel, you can even leave dry land, and you cannot get away from God. And so God is going to bring his judgment upon Jonah for his disobedience. And he, and he, and he sends this, this great wind, which, which whips up this violent storm that pounds and pounds and pounds the vessel that, that Jonah is in. And the ship itself is creaking and cracking. It looked like it's about to fracture and, and bring certain death to everyone on board. And the crew, they are scared. Verse 5 says they, they, they were afraid and each cried out to his own God. These, these polytheistic sailors, they're this good system. Right? Everyone pray to your own God. Right? Because maybe one of them can help. Everybody try. And they didn't just pray, they also took action. Right? Did what, whatever they can to improve the situation. So here they go at the end of uh, uh, verse 5. They hurled the cargo that was into the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Because when it comes to life and death, possessions mean nothing, isn't it? Right? But, but all this is not working. And then they notice something. This is the kind of emergency that you need all hands on deck. And there's somebody missing. Verse 5 continues. Jonah had gone down to the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. What's this guy doing? So what do they do? Well, the captain wakes him up, comes in, says to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out your God. How can you sleep like this? This is not right. Look what's going on. Arise, call to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us and we may not perish. Maybe you can't help with the sailor thing. Lah. You don't know how to do this. But never mind. At least you pray to your God. We're all praying to our own gods. Maybe this one will help. Maybe he'll notice us and we'll be saved. Little does he know that the problem is that Jonah's God has noticed them. That's why they're in this problem. And little does he know that Jonah can't pray to his God because he's meant to be running away from him. <laughs> Meanwhile, the sailors must have realized there's something freaky about this storm. Or oh, perhaps they know just a, their spirit, they know the spiritual reason behind everything, not just a material one. But whatever it is, they, they see the storm must be a punishment from one of the gods. 
Somebody on board has offended a God. And so they get an idea in verse 7. They say, come, let's cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. There's lots of, probably like Deisler, right? And so they cast lots. And what happens? The lot falls on Jonah. This passenger that they picked up at Yoppa, he's the one who's attracted the trouble. He's the one who's got us into this mess. So time for interrogation. Right, they fire him with a barrage of questions. Verse 8. Tell us on what account, whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where have you come from? What is your country? What people are you? Right. They want to get to the bottom of this, don't they? Asking, 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 asking. So, and they want to do it fast. Quick, 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 quick. And so in verse 9, he tells La, I'm a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. I say, the God that Jonah feared, served, worshipped, all the same word, is the God of heaven. He's the God far above all the petty little gods they have. And not only is he the God of heaven, he's the one who made both the sea and the dry land. Ha! Huh. He's the creator God. The one who made everything. And if he's the one who made everything, he's the one who rules everything. He's the one to whom everything belongs. The one true God. Who, the God of Israel who didn't just live in Israel. Didn't even just live on land. Who created, sustains, controls the sea as well. Not like Jonah's friends, God's. He's in a completely different class. And Jonah is running away from this God. And you know how the sailors respond? Verse 10. And the men were exceedingly afraid. You remember earlier on, uh, earlier on, oh, where are we? Uh, in verse 5, the mariners were afraid. Big storm, they're scared, they're afraid. Now that they find out who Jonah's running away from, they are exceedingly afraid. For they knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. And they say to him in verse 11, uh, verse, verse 10, what is this you have done? You crazy. How can you be so stupid? You, you serve the God who made the sea and the dry land and you are running away from Him? How can you do such a thing? And, and what have you done to us? You've, you, you've dragged us into this as well, haven't you? We don't want to be part of this. Right? It's like being, being tied to a person who insists on putting his wet fingers in an electrical socket. Right? <laughs> what have you done? Meanwhile, the sea is getting rougher and rougher, more and more tempestuous. So they say to him in verse 11, What shall we do to you that the sea may quieten down for us? Right? They figure Jonah might, might know what to do. He's a worshipper of this God who is behind the storm. They're right. He's, he's worked it out. He says in verse 12, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. 
Then the sea will quieten for you because it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Jonah knew that he was the one who had sinned. He was the one to blame. Jonah knew that his disobedience to God, his running away from God, deserves death. Nothing short of it. The wages of sin is death. That's why God sent the storm. That's God's instrument of judgment against Jonah. It was there for his life. And so to stop the storm, the sailors must kill him. So if the sailors throw him into the sea, well, that's all it will take. Jonah will drown. He will get what he deserves. Justice will be done. And the sailors will escape. Yahweh is not going to come after them. It's not you he's after, Jonah tells the mariners. It's, it's me. And so Jonah offers his life that they might live. He offers his life that they might live. But the sailors are reluctant to, to take up this offer. Instead, verse 13, they, they row harder to try and get back to land, but, the, but they can't. The sea grows more and more tempestuous. See, they, they, they don't want to sacrifice Jonah, but they're not winning. And so finally they come to the point where they feel they've got no choice. And they prepare to do what they really don't want to do. They prepare to throw Jonah into the sea. But before they do that, they do something that they have never done before. They do what, what the captain asked Jonah to do and Jonah couldn't or didn't. And until this point, still hasn't. What do they do? They cry out to Yahweh, don't they? They cry out not to their own gods, each one their own. No, 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 no. no. They cry out to Yahweh. Verse 14. And they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done what it pleased you. They recognize that Yahweh is the one behind the storm. They know that He is the God who is judging Jonah. And not only that, they now realize that He is the God who will judge them. That's why they say to Him, please don't hold this man's blood against us. They recognize him as the judge. They realize that he is the God of heaven and earth. The one who made the heavens and the earth is not to be trifled with. Because if he really is the God who created everything and looks like he is, then they are accountable to him. They are part of his creation. And if they kill Jonah, they might be in trouble with Yahweh. But they know they can't do anything else. And so they call out to God to call Yahweh and say, please don't hold this against us. You're the one who's making us do it. And then as a last resort, they carry out Jonah's plan. Verse 15, so they picked up Jonah, or, or literally actually, they lifted him up. It's interesting, they lifted him up and hurled him into the sea. And when they lifted him up and hurled him into the sea, what happens? The sea ceased from its raging. The furious storm becomes quiet. 
the wind and the waves still. Because the price is paid. God is satisfied. Justice is done. Jonah is on his way to a watery grave. And the, sin, and the, the sailors are free. What would you do at this point if you were one of the sailors? Tell you what these men do. They become worshippers of Yahweh. Verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. I bet they did. This is probably the biggest thing that's ever happened to them. And they offer a sacrifice to the Lord probably when they get back to the shore and they make vows to him this is not a short term commitment this is a long term thing they go back they make sacrifice they make vows they are they are saved by God and now they are converted they are the first people to be converted in this story and Jonah hasn't even gone to Nineveh yet So what do we learn about God from this passage? Well, the first thing we're reminded of is God's sovereign power, isn't it? He's the one who rules the land and the sea. He's the, he's the creator who's got everything in his hands. And as we read this passage, it does remind us of another passage, doesn't it, in the New Testament? More than 700 years later, there was another boat in another sea. And inside this other boat, there was also a sleeping prophet, though he was more than a prophet. And he was also woken up by other frightened men on the ship, like Jonah was woken up from his sleep. And they would be terrified and amazed by him, just as the sailors were terrified. But you know what happened to Jesus in the boat? Jesus stood up and told the sea to be quiet and the wind to be still. And they obeyed him. The power that is shown by Yahweh in this Old Testament account is shown by, by Jesus himself in the New. Jesus is that sovereign Lord. He's the, he's the one who controls land and sea. He's the creator. He's the ruler. If he says something, we better listen. If he tells us to do something, we better obey. Nobody messes with him. God is the sovereign ruler of all. And Jesus fits right into that picture. The second thing we see is also God... God's punishment. God does punish. God, God punishes sin. God was about to punish Nineveh because of her evil. God punished Jonah for his sin. There's no escaping. Running away doesn't help. God is not mocked. We can't play games with him. God punishes sin.
But friends, the Bible tells us it's not just Nineveh that had a sin problem. And it's not just Jonah who was running away from God. We're all part of a human race that's, that's evil. World that's disobedient to God. And we all run in our own ways. And we all sin like Nineveh. And like Nineveh and like Jonah, we deserve God's punishment. And denial is not a solution because when God's judgment comes, you don't get out of it by rowing harder and harder, trying to get back to the shore. Can't escape the living God. You've got to go to the solution that He gives. And so the third thing we see here is, uh, is a shadow of that solution to our problem. It's not clear just from reading it, but when you... When you've read the New Testament and you look back, you can see the hints. Because we know the solution to our problem is found in Jesus Christ. And as you've looked at the New Testament references in your study earlier, you would have seen that what Jonah points to Christ, isn't he? Jesus is just, well, Jonah is just like Jesus in some ways. He was... He was God's messenger, God's prophet who, who brought his word. He was the one sent by God to a people whose sin had come up before him. He, he prefigures Jesus. He's on that, he's on that line of, of prophets that leads to the ultimate messenger from God, the ultimate message from God, which is Jesus. But Jesus is the, the perfect prophet, the, the, the perfect man, the, the perfect word. He was... In his own words, the one greater than Jonah. And unlike Jonah, he never ran away. He was always obedient to God. Yet like Jonah, he experienced the punishment of God. Like Jonah, he was lifted up. Not on a ship, but on a cross. For like Jonah, he was on the receiving end of God's judgment. And as he suffered there on the cross, Jesus did for us what Jonah did for the sailors. He offered his life that we might live. Of course, the big difference is that Jonah was being punished for his own sin. He got what he deserved. Jesus was punished for ours. He got what we deserved. He took our sin, our guilt, our debt, and paid for it for us. Took our punishment so we can be completely forgiven. The price was paid. God was satisfied. Justice was done. Jesus went down to the grave. And if we trust in Jesus, then like the sailors, we are free. We are rescued. Before we close, let me think again with you about running away from God. Let's do that by thinking about four fictitious people and asking if we're like any one of them. I've made up four names. I don't think there's anyone here with those names. If, uh, if there are, I'm very sorry. Yeah. 
Kathy. Kathy is an unbeliever. So by definition, she's been running away from God. In fact, she's been doing it all her life. She's someone who, who actually knows or at least strongly suspects that Jesus is true, but she hasn't submitted to him as Lord of her life. She tries to avoid him. He tries to ignore him when he speaks to her in his word. At one level, she wishes he would like go away and leave her alone because there's a lot at stake if she were to follow him. There'll be lifestyle changes. Her family would be upset. There'll be pressure. And there'll be friends who would think less of her as a result. So she's, she's running away. She's trying to avoid God. Anyone here like Kathy tonight? Because if you are, then remember what God has done for you on the cross. Remember how much He loves you. Look at the offer of forgiveness that He's made by giving His Son for you. And why would you want to run away from a God like that? What you've got to do is you've got to stop running, come to Jesus. Because he took the judgment for you. You come to him. You'll find forgiveness and life and a love that you'll never want to run away from again. But if you persist in running, then you know that is a stupid thing to do. Because you cannot run away from God forever. And God will catch up with you. And judgment will fall on you like it fell on Jonah. And if you're not trusting in Christ, there is no one else who will take the punishment for you. And you'll perish in your own running. So please don't run away from God anymore. Well, maybe you're a bit like Param. Param's a believer. He's been a believer for a while, but sometimes forgets the wonder of the love and grace of God in Christ. Keeps thinking that God is angry with him because of some sin he's really struggling with and thinks maybe he needs to do more church work to be sure of God's favor. But because his job is busy and he's got a family and his responsibilities are big and he finds it hard to do that, so I think God must be really mad with him. Makes him not want to come to God, to stay away from him. So he feels far from God and that makes it easier for him to sin again. Then he feels worse and he begs God's forgiveness and this must be the last time and chastises himself, makes himself feel really bad. And then he does it again, so he thinks God's never going to forgive him, so he doesn't go and bother asking. He stops coming to church because he thinks he doesn't want to be a hypocrite, but that makes him feel further away and further away. And, well, he's actually running away in a sense, isn't he? Ever experienced anything like that? Well, that's you. Remember that Jesus died for you. If you're trusting in Jesus, God's not angry with you anymore. He considers you righteous in Christ. If you think God's still going to keep on being angry with you, then of course you're going to run away. But if you, but if you know that you can come to God and you will be completely forgiven, every time's the first time. There's no need to run. Don't have to pretend to be better than you are. God loves you and accepts you. You confess your sins and let God by His Spirit change you. Remember that song, when Satan tempts me to despair, tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God, the just, is satisfied to look on him 
and pardon me. Sue Lee is someone else who's running. Not because she's forgotten God's mercy, but because she's blatantly rebelling. She's been a Christian for a while, but she knows the thing she's doing that's displeasing to God. She jolly well knows that, but she likes him so much she's doing it anyway. She doesn't want to repent. And so she's running from God because she knows that he will say, don't do it. She knows the Bible, but avoids the bits that she knows that she doesn't want to obey. And she thinks she can get away with it by blocking God out. Not reading the parts of the Bible she doesn't want to deal with, or not listening to sermons about it, or or ignoring other Christians when they talk about it. In fact, getting very offended when someone brings it up. You like Sue Lee? Is there a sin in your life that you don't want to repent of, and so you're on the run? Well, if that's you, let me, let me warn you, 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 you won't get away with it. Jonah didn't get away with being disobedient to God. How can he? You can look at Jonah and go, Ah, so, so stupid, how do you think you can run away from God? And then you're going to do the same thing. Hmm? God will catch up with you. The only way is to stop running now, right now. Admit God is God. Agree to do what he says. Don't go back to KL without sorting this out. And fourthly, there's another way that Christians kind of run away. Jonah ran because he didn't want to do the job that God gave him. Sometimes we can be a little bit like that. In, like Peter. Peter's at church every Sunday without fail. Reads his Bible, goes to growth group, attends use the night training. He's growing in leaps and bounds in his knowledge of God. He could pick up that exercise on Jonah and go, oh yeah, I can tell you how Jonah goes first Christ. Fool you. keen to grow in his faith, keen to help other Christians understand the Bible better. Very sharp theologically, he can smell heresy a mile away. <laughs> knows when the preacher's not handling the Bible properly. He's good. One thing about Peter is he doesn't really bother with non-Christians. It's not that he doesn't like them, he just doesn't think about them. Or think of them as, as people who need to be saved. Theoretically, he knows that they're lost without Christ, but he's not really wanting to do anything about it. He doesn't doesn't want to run from God himself, but he does want to run from the task God's given us of making the message of Jesus known. I don't know why. Maybe, Maybe he knows a lot about the Bible, but he's forgotten how much God loved him. Maybe he's forgotten how sinful he is himself and how God was so kind and gracious to him by saving him through Jesus. Maybe if, maybe if he just realizes how much God has done for him, he'll be a little bit more willing to take risks to help others. A bit like Peter. God cared for the people of Nineveh. Jonah ran away because he didn't. Sometimes we don't care for people like the way God does. So God calls us to tell people the gospel, 
to love. We don't want to do all kinds of excuses we give. Not very good at talking lah. Don't want to come across as pushy. Not sure if they'll like my church if they come. Too busy to go for guest night or invitational evangelism course with them. I just evangelize by living a good life. I don't know what to say. I'm lazy. I just want to concentrate on growing in my own faith. I'm better at talking with other Christians. They might be offended by what I say. I might say something wrong and make things worse. So we kind of run away from the task God has given us because we don't really care for people the way God does. Well, friends, God wants to use us for his glory. Of course, of course we need to be sensitive. Of course we need to live a good life. Of course we can't be obnoxious to people. But we can tell people about Jesus. Or we can lend them a book or give them a tract. He can invite them to church or to the God who is there or whatever else it is or a guest night. Or, and if they say no, we can just say, well, that's okay. Is it okay if I ask you next time? It's being God's instrument in evangelism is possible. Many, many people in our congregations brought people the last guest night. It's great. You can do it. Don't run away. Bring God's word to the people He puts you in contact with. Now you'll do it in your way, in your style, in your with your opportunities. Not everyone's the same. Not everyone's out there and bang we are. Just you know, play our part. You're unlikely to preach to a whole city like Jonah, but you can help in a step with a few colleagues or friends. Well, we've talked in these examples of Jonah as a negative example, isn't it? And used him as a kind of like a foil. That's okay, because Jonah's appointed to Christ, and we're meant to follow Christ. And when Jonah sins, he's falling short of Christ, and becomes a negative example for people who are trying who are trying to follow Christ and be like Christ. But, if there's anything we're, anyone we're meant to be like in this passage directly, it's really the, the mariners, the sailors, isn't it? Because if Jonah is like Christ, though he's a failed shadow of Christ... They're the ones who are most like our situation. The sailors were Gentiles like us. Each of them had their own gods like, like we did. But when they met God's prophet, the one sent by God, when they saw God's judgment upon him, the punishment that he had to suffer, they realized that the God of Israel, Yahweh, is the one true God. They knew they were accountable to Him. They cried out to Him for mercy. And when they saw His salvation of them through this prophet, they worshipped Him and made promises to serve Him. And for those of us who are believers, that's exactly the same for us, isn't it? We have seen God's ultimate messenger the Lord Jesus Christ. They were the Gentiles, the ones who were outside. Saw God's ultimate messenger, the Lord Jesus. We've seen the judgment that he, that he faced, the punishment that He had to suffer for us. We saw that at the cross. And when we've seen that, we've realized that Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is the one true God. Like the mariners, 
We've turned from our idols, our false religions and our fanciful toys that cannot save, and we've, we've cried out to Him for mercy. And He has saved us like He saved them. And when we've seen this power to save us through the death of this, this messenger, we have worshipped Him and made promises to serve Him. And we too have been saved and converted. Converted from worshippers of idols to worshippers of the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Well, we know the story of Jonah doesn't end there. Sailors would have assumed that he was dead, but God had other plans for Jonah and other plans for Nineveh. Because he's not only the God of judgment, but he's also the God of mercy and salvation. And we'll look at that in our next session. Let me pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who has created the heavens and the earth, that you hold all things in your hand. Nothing escapes you. We thank you that you are the God who is perfectly just, who punishes sin. We thank you that, like the sailors, we have seen your messenger, your prophet, but the one who is far more than, than just a prophet. We have seen your son. We've seen him crucified for us, bearing the punishment that, that, that we deserve, rescuing and saving us. And you have brought us from being worshippers of idols to be people who fear the one true God. We thank you that you have done that for us. We thank you that Jesus is not like Jonah, that he never ran away from you, but that he did the work that you had given him to do, and that he completed his rescue of us. And we pray that you help us to be like him rather than like Jonah. May we be people who love you and serve you and who don't run away. And any of us here who are running away, we pray that we pray that you would arrest us. We pray that you would Hold us and that you will grant us true repentance. And we pray that you would bring us back, not struggling and kicking and 
and in uh, under judgment but that you would extend that grace and mercy to us help us to sort things out with you over this weekend please Lord may we be able to go home rejoicing we ask this in Jesus name Amen